And I remember to this day lying on the field, looking up, and I remember seeing it was a beautiful blue sky. I remember seeing clouds in the air. And I said, oh, my God, I can't feel my legs. I can't get up. And I knew I was really hurt. And I had already been hurt a lot in my athletic career. I started playing sports when I was five years old. I was now 25. I had five concussions, sprain and strain pretty much every you know, muscle and ligament of my body. Uh, but I had never felt pain like that. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, where we help people use adversity to become their best self. And today, uh, we have an amazing guest. He's not only um, a trader extraordinaire, he's not only somebody that you guys see um, motivating and inspiring people, training all kinds of people from, from athletes to celebrities to everyday moms and dads. He's also a good friend of mine, and he's been somebody who's had a massive impact um, you know, I, I don't use that word lightly in my life and his name is Todd Durkin and, and today, um, we're going to go a little bit deeper into Todd's story. I know, you know, many of you who know him on social media, you see a lot about his fitness background, maybe speaking. Um, but we're going to talk about, you know, some times where Todd was, was really struggling. So Todd, man, thank you so much for coming on. Doug, great to be on your show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you and I have known each other almost a decade and it's crazy when I first met you, I'm sure I got the same reaction that many of your people that follow you and even people listening to the show have that like, guy, this guy's full of energy. He's, um, always on, right. He's a person who loves just giving back to people and loves, you know, serving his community. But I, I want to talk about a time where I know was a pretty deep struggle for you. And that was, you know, when you blew your back out playing football, when you had those two linebackers come and crush you when you were playing in Europe. Talk about like that experience, what that was like, what was going through your mind, um, what kind of dreams you might have had or had not had at that point and kind of where that led you. Yeah. Well, just, just even to back up a little bit to, to give us some context, you know, I had played college football and when I was done playing college football, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm not done yet. I'm not ready to get, get, you know, get into the quote real world. So I uh, decided to go play over in Europe and um, I played in Berlin, Germany and Amsterdam in the world football league. And then I went over to play in uh, Cannes, France. Yes. The uh, daunted Cannes iron masks. Anyone ever heard of them? Probably not. <laughs> and uh, I was playing in Cannes, and we were playing a team in Aix-en-Provence, France. Now, mind you, this was my way of trying to continue my playing career to somehow, eventually, hopefully, someday play in the NFL. I mean, that was my dream, was to play in the NFL. And after college, it wasn't, I didn't get drafted and didn't get a shot. So I'm like, all right, I'll go get some game tape and have fun and, and play some good football. And... Uh, it was there when I was playing as Aix-en-Provence, France, that I, uh, I had a devastating back injury. And I remember that day, I was 25 years old. I was, I was living the dream, so to speak. And uh, we were in this game in, in the uh, beginning of the season. 
and I was a quarterback. So I was scrambling and uh, it was third down. I got to pick up the first down. Quarterbacks are, are taught to do what's called a hook slide to avoid getting hit. And when I picked up the first down, I went and did the hook slide. But as I was doing a hook slide, two linebackers came in and wedged their helmet in the small of my back. And I remember to this day lying on the field, looking up, and I remember seeing it was a beautiful blue sky. I remember seeing clouds in the air. And I said, oh, my God, I can't feel my legs. I can't get up. And I knew I was really hurt. And I had already been hurt a lot in my athletic career. I started playing sports when I was five years old. I was now 25. I had five concussions, sprain and strain pretty much every you know, muscle and ligament of my body. Uh, but I had never felt pain like that. And when I, I remember when the trainers came on the field and eventually carted me off, I knew it was serious. And uh, I remember the excruciating pain I felt. And I was like, this isn't normal. This is going to be a major, major problem. And that, that, was, that was the beginning of the end. <laughs> that, was, that was the beginning. Yeah, and I think anytime you have some sort of dream like that, right, where your goal is to prof play professional football and you have it shattered like that, there's got to be all kinds of self-doubt, um, depression, you know, un instability in your mind going through your head. What kind of, what kind of like, thoughts did you have for after that moment when you're feeling like I might not be able to walk again I might not ever be able to play football again like what was going through your head well uh, here's what was going through my head and probably anyone that's had any kind of physical injury if you're an athlete of any kind um this is probably what goes through your head I remember going to the to the ER the emergency room in France and the doctor the only thing I remember him saying is uh he have a back problem your football <laughs> career is over and I said to myself, I was like, baloney, it's over. I'm, I'm not done with this. And he said, you have three herniated discs, spinal stenosis, and degenerative back disease. You have the back of a 75-year-old man. And I was like, wait a second. That doesn't sound too good. And, um, and it gets worse. Here's what happens. So I hear that, and we had a bye week the following week. And I knew I was in serious trouble. And I knew I had this, but um, I took two weeks where I could hardly, you know, hardly walk. And I was, I was in a lot of pain. Um, but, you know, you got to remember now, Doug, this is 1995. Uh, I thought that I would heal it through physical therapy and everything else. And um, I would never do this today. But two weeks later, uh, I got shot up with whatever the doc shot me up with that took away my pain. And I played another football game. And when I played that football game, let me tell you what, I, I played, I threw two touchdown passes. I was punting. I played amazing. But I didn't realize it then that how bad it really was, was when that painkiller wore off, uh, Toradol, um, you know, cortisone, all of it, some cocktail, that was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt. Now, looking back, it was negligent for them to let me play um, because they said I couldn't do any further damage. Well, of course not because I'd already shattered everything back there. But uh, uh, I certainly did a lot of damage. And uh, that was it because I knew uh, I was bedridden for weeks. I was. Uh, that's when my mind started to really say, okay, this – I'm done. I'm done. Football has got to be over. And I really struggled because 
honestly, from five to 25, even though I had an education, I had certifications, I went to massage therapy school in my off season, like all this stuff. Like I had one purpose. It was to play football and I knew I was going to play in the NFL. And now all of a sudden I knew I wasn't. And um, it was like trying to figure out my life. And my first thing was I got to figure out my back because I was on Vicodin. Um, I couldn't get off Vicodin. If I missed a pill, I was like locked and couldn't walk. I was stuck in France. I couldn't fly home because I couldn't sit up, sit upright for seven, you know, seven plus hours to fly home back to New Jersey at the time. Um, so I was basically bedridden in Cannes, France, south of France. And uh, I was going to the physical therapy. Uh, and, and let me tell you, when you're in pain, you'll do anything. I was going to an energy healer, acupuncture, chiropractic, uh, uh, a physio. I mean, you name it, I was doing it. And for um, a couple months, like I all, rehabbed all, all at once or just all like at once. Okay. All at once. I, I was, I was doing anything and everything. It was like my full-time job. I'm like, I just got to get to the point where I can sit upright for seven hours to, so I could fly home and get back to the States. And, um, man, like someone's like, Oh, I know this energy healer over in Nice, France, you got to go to her. And I would go to her and, you know, the bottom line was they were telling me I needed surgery, but I was intent that I wasn't going to have surgery. Uh, I want to do it naturally without it, if I could. And, um, to make a long story short, I went down this path for five years of trying to heal my own back pain. And uh, I had to rediscover my own dream because initially I really struggled with the fact that I was no longer gonna be able to live my dream and I had to recreate a dream, but I didn't really know what that was gonna be. I didn't know if I was gonna go into teaching and coaching. I didn't know if I was gonna go into medicine, the massage therapy, if I was gonna go into just coaching football or if I was gonna someday own a, own a business, but, uh, what I didn't realize at that time was in this five year journey of going to just, I lived in 13 different cities going to um, try to heal my own back pain and study with gurus and everything and healing and, and performance. I didn't realize that was all setting me up for what eventually would become my career. I had a lot of really, really, I'll call it empty days and empty nights where I felt unfulfilled. I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know what my goal and dream was. Um, it was so focused on trying to get better and just like take the next step that I couldn't look five years or 10 years or 20 years down, down the lane because it was like, man, I just got to get off this Vicodin and, and um, I've got I've to gotta like figure out just what I'm going to do with my own back so I can survive and live pain-free first. Yeah. And it's funny how our biggest setbacks become our biggest blessings. Right. And I think a lot of times we don't realize that when we're going through it. Um, and I know for you, it, it definitely, you were able to, to, to use a lot of your, your pain and turn it into which now your purpose, like, did you ever have any other aspirations besides playing football? Like I know you, I know like becoming a trainer was something that you was evolved and everything. Like, did you ever like want to be like a business person, like a lawyer, like anything like that? Or was it just football? I always had, I knew I had to get an education and that's why I went to a good school. I went to William & Mary down Virginia and I got my education and I got my kinesiology degree and I got my, my, my fifth year. I got my teaching credential. Like I set myself up, but it was certainly always like plan B. It was always a backup plan and it wasn't my passion. Um, it wasn't like I knew I wanted to become a trainer. I didn't. That wasn't like, Hey, I want to become a trainer. Now in the mid nineties, late nineties, uh, trainers and, and, and fitness 
professionals is certainly a, a far different cry than it is today with all the different opportunities and options for uh, trainers and fit pros today. Um, so no, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but what I realized is I was really creating a great network of people and I was studying with some people who actually ended up being some of my biggest mentors in my life when it comes to body work and healing and energy work and um, different aspects of both Eastern and Western medicine and healing. Uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Looking back now, it all makes sense. Going through it, I felt like a lost sheep. I really felt, even though I had the degrees, even though I had opportunities, I knew, I felt like God had a plan for me that I had the trust and the easy thing would have been to like take a job and start making money. But I knew like that I was supposed to like go down this road to try to tap into like a deeper part of me that, you know, now I'm in my late twenties and everyone's back on wall street making good money or, you know, they've got professional jobs. I still felt like I had to go on down this exploratory road of trying to heal my back pain. And again, I lived in 13 cities in less than five years. Um, and, and, and some of those cities, like I was just like a vagabond on people's couches, uh, so I could save money. Cause I really wasn't making money other than I was, you know, doing some massage therapy and some training on the side. Now was healing your back pain. Was that like back then? I mean, as you look back now, it was obviously very healing for you. Was that like an ego thing to see if you could somehow play football again? Or was it like, I need to get myself right. I'm in a bad head space. I need to figure out like, you know, what I'm going to do in this next segment of my life. No, it wasn't to play football again. I pretty much by that point knew that football was over. It was really just, I, I, I don't, I didn't want surgery. I don't like surgery. I had never had a surgery before up to that point. And um, I just said, Hey, if I can heal it naturally, I will. And I didn't know if it would, would happen or not, but I eventually met a guy named Dub Lee. Dub Lee uh, did something called Rolfing Feldenkrais and uh, energy work to new Roshi uh, taught this work called Zen body therapy. I learned from dub um, and in him starting to work on my psoas hip flexors, PSOAS, psoas. Um, I learned about the importance of fascia connective tissue and how it's interwoven on all the muscles, tendons, ligaments, organs, bones of the body. And I got opened up to this whole system of like, wow, I had been through my degree in kinesiology. I've been to massage therapy school. I'd never studied fascia like this and found out how all physical, mental, emotional um, trauma is stored in fascia. And I started studying this stuff and doubly, and he was in his seventies, he took me under his wing. And uh, it was really that like turned my, my head around of like, man, like no one's teaching this stuff. And I really dove headfirst into that. And that work is what actually ended up allowing me to get off that Vicodin. I had a really serious detox from that stuff. Um, and, and next thing I know, I was off the Vicodin and uh, I was studying to learn all this, you know, the Rolfing and the Feldenkrais and the energy work, which lent well into my traditional strength and conditioning background. And again, throughout this period of time, pretty much from 1995 to year 2000, I didn't know it then, but it was all things going to my toolbox so that when I would eventually go into business, these were all skills that I had learned that was going to allow me to work with the people who I work with today and have worked with for a long time. Um, so that feeling of lost, the feeling of emptiness, like what am I going to do for a living? I'd always dreamt of that. It, it, it took a lot of patience and it took a lot of like, just focus on the here and now, like focus on today. Don't worry and stress about all the things I can't control. 
Yeah. And I know you and I, we've talked a lot about mentoring and mentorship, and I know you've been a great mentor of mine and to hundreds of other people. You know, they say people come into your life for a reason. For me, that was my cellmate. Do you feel that Double E was one of those guys who came into your life at that point in time to help kind of nourish you from where you were at and kind of has, you know, kind of helped get you to where you are today? hundred percent. There's no doubt people do come into your life uh, at just the right times. And for me, you got to realize at that point now, you know, two years after my injury, uh, I was now living in Los Angeles. I was training uh, some of the biggest actors, actresses, and producers in Hollywood. I was living with a guy by the name of Michael King. Michael King produced Oprah Winfrey. Wheel, he produced Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy. And um, Michael King is the one who brought me from the East Coast out to the West Coast. And uh, it just so happened that Double E had a workshop in Los Angeles. And my sister, Patty, said, you got to go to this workshop with this guy named Double E. He doesn't do marketing. He's kind of like, you got to seek him out and find him. And I knew right when I met that guy, again, gruff old man was in his 70s, um, that this was a guy I could learn from. And what, what he really did to me was after session four of 10, uh, his type of work is done in a series of 10 sessions. I remember he was working on my hips, my psoas and my hip rotators. I got right. off the table and I felt amazing. Like I started popping around and doing skipping. I'm like, dub, dub, dub. I think I could play football again. Now, what happened next is what I needed. Dub Lee said, no, Dodo Bird, your time is done. It's now time for you to start sharing this work. And he, boom, he hit me. He, he hit back, you? He hit me. He wow. backhanded me. He backhanded me. I almost knocked this old man out, right? <laughs> But here's the, here's the thing. I honestly needed him to do that for me, to give up the dream finally, once and for all, to say, even though now I'm pain-free and I'm off biking in and I feel like a million bucks, you don't have to go back and live the old dream. You can create a new dream. And I realized that Dub needed to tell me that maybe every now and then you need someone to kind of slap you upside the head and say, yo, Dodo Bird. It's time to move on, get over it, find a new dream, create a new dream, go impact the world in a different way than that. You're not tied to a football player. You're not just a football player. You're a human being who's got a deeper purpose than just a sport. Go out there and change the world with this type of work. And to me, that was the catalyst for me to get released. And I went to grad school uh, and, and I met my future wife down at grad school and and then I opened my business and, and uh, man, that was, that was over 20 years ago. You know, what's crazy, Todd, is I, I was actually just thinking about this a few minutes ago, how like your biggest setback became like your biggest now, like your bread and butter, right? I would, I would arguably say, you know, besides professionally, one of your greatest accomplishments has been with Drew Brees and in training him. And obviously, you know, he's now become one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And I think it's funny how your, um, your pain, your adversity of, you know, having your dreams crushed to play professional football as a quarterback got shattered. And here you are training arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I think there's no coincidence in that. And it's just, it's, it's crazy how the chips kind of, how the chips fall. And, you know, one other thing I want to, I want to bring up is I know, let, let, let me, let me just explain this because you're like, wait, wait, Drew Brees, how do you get training Drew Brees from where you go? Right, right. Because this is important. 
because I had dove, because I dove into body work and, and all these healers, what happened was when I opened my business in year 2000, um, I always wanted to work with athletes, but I didn't train athletes for the first two years. I just trained regular moms and dads and, and people were coming in to, to lose weight. But I still had the, the intention, the goal to train athletes. There's this gal doing Pilates who says, my husband has a bad back. Could you help him? I said, yes, I can. I do type of body work called Rolfing Structural Integration Sports Massage. She brings her husband in. I didn't know this, but her husband happened to be the starting left tackle for the then San Diego Chargers. We had a great session, despite him breaking my table in half. That's another story. Um, is He says, that was an extraordinary session. Would you be interested in coming down to work with the San Diego Chargers and doing all the, the work after our games? I said, of course I would. I would love to. Vaughn Parker opened the door for me to go down, and for the next two years, in the early 2000s, I was a sports massage therapist for the San Diego Chargers on Mondays after games. It was there that a, a guy named Ladanian Tomlinson, the first round pick, said to me, Todd, I hear you do something called functional fitness, which combines uh, all your training with balance and core strength and plyometrics. I said, yes, Ladanian, that's what I do. And he said, I want to come train with you after the season's over. When the season was over after his rookie year, he called me the day after the season was over and started to train with me. It was LT that brought Drew in three months after training with me. So you see, those are the dots that connect back to the back injury. Because, man, 1995, I could have never fast-forwarded to 2002 when I first started working with these guys, seven years. If you would have told me it's going to take seven years for you to figure out, like, it's going to take you and I'm going to have you work in the NFL. I'm going to have you work with the world's best athletes and do training with them and body work with them and get their mind right and everything else. I would have said, you're crazy. I'm playing professional football in Europe. How am I going to work with the NFL best athlete? And as a trainer, as a massage therapist, as a body worker, as a coach, are you kidding me? That was God's plan for me. And for the last 17 years now, I've been training Drew. And um, it's because of all the stuff that happened that I couldn't see at the time. But I was open to receiving from the universe the people who were showing up in my life to work with them and not chase money or to, to go after fame. Um, it was about, I wanted to learn. I spent my twenties learning, literally learning a, a life, but skills and getting mentored and being poor and that. And it wasn't until I was just shy of my 30th birthday when I opened fitness quest 10 in year 2000. Such an amazing story. And I, I've heard that story before. And I just know that it took a lot of hard work, a lot of sweat equity. They, they probably see somebody like you, training um you know a lot of the the people you train they're like wow like he's lucky and they don't see all the steps that had to happen to get there one of the things i highly respect about you and i know a lot of people that are in your circle do as well is how much of a great family man you are and i want to talk about another setback or piece of adversity for you that i think became your biggest blessing and that was being uh, one of eight kids you know five sisters mm. two brothers right and having your dad i know um, you know, leave when I think you were five years old. That's actually when my dad left as well. I've met your mom. I know your relationship with your mom is really strong. And I know a big part of your life was when you lost your dad. That was something that was really hard for you. I want you to talk about a what it was like growing up in a house with eight with um, eight kids. 
what that taught you about what you wanted in within your family and how you wanted to kind of have that family unit and also how like, you know, you nurtured that re-nurtured that relationship with your dad after he left and, you know, how you kind of journeyed through that until the day that, you know, he left the earth. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing you can't do is pick your family. And, uh, I, I, I am very fortunate to have incredible, uh, siblings. I have seven brothers and sisters, five sisters, two brothers. And um, as the youngest of eight kids, the, the thing is we, we grew up with very little money. I grew up in a, uh, a town called Brick, New Jersey, and it was a blue collar town. And mom and dad, when they got split up, uh, we didn't have much. And I remember being the lunch ticket kid. I remember being embarrassed going to school and trying to hide the orange lunch tickets. And there was five tickets per week. And I'd hand that and I was the poor kid, you know, I had hand-me-down clothes, the house didn't look good, the lawn wasn't mowed. Um, and uh, it was a really tough time. And between five years old and 10 years old, my dad was was gone. I didn't have much of a relationship with him. He was living in Colorado. Um, and, you know, it was just, I'll tell you, it was, they, they, they used to call me Tough Todd because they got in fights all the time. You probably didn't know that, Doug. I used to fight. Um, I loved fighting. I never knew that. I, 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 yeah, I, don't, I haven't shared that a lot, but I actually used to like the fight. Um, I think it was just kind of suppressed anger from what I saw with my parents. And um, it wasn't until the fourth grade when I met when a teacher named Mrs. Whitaker. Mrs. Whitaker entrusted me with a class guinea pig named uh, Crystal. Crystal was the class guinea pig. still remember that. And the reason I remember that is because Mrs. Whitaker believed in me. And uh, it was the first time I had like someone other than my, you know, my inner circle believe in me. And, um, and I changed like literally in the fourth grade from being a runt. Believe in really you, a, believe in you how? Just as a guy, as a, as a, she told me I was smart. She told me I, I cared for people and just the way she made me feel like she was actually, you know, just, she believed in me and she told right. me that. I mean, I was the one who was chosen to bring Crystal home. You think it's really dumb, but I remember having such pride that she chose me to take the class guinea pig home over summer to tend to it. And I remember like that was the turning point fourth grade for me that I was like, I'm special. Like I'm going to take this, this chip on my shoulder, this attitude and this little, you know, this, this toughness that I had from just, again, from my upbringing um, I, I literally used to look for fights after school. Like I was not, I wasn't, I wasn't, a, I wasn't, I was, I was just, I used to fight. And, um, and then my dad, when I was 10 years old, came back into my life. He moved back to New Jersey and, uh, he asked me to, to, um, to, to give up soccer. Cause I played soccer. That was my sports outlet. And I did really well in soccer. He said, Hey, listen, I want you to try playing football, basketball, and baseball for one year. I said, I don't want to play football, basketball, baseball. I'm finding great success in soccer. He said, try it for one year. And the age of 10, I did that. And all of a sudden I found great success in all three of those sports, those sports I played all the way through high school and, and got 11 varsity letters. And um, what happened was when I was uh, just after he had come back in my life, when I was 10, my dad had a heart attack. Uh, he had a triple bypass surgery, had a heart attack. And uh, my dad went from a very, very driven type A personality to a uh, type B personality, meaning he changed. He literally changed his, his, his uh, workaholism, his, his, uh, his just persona, and he became much more of a family man. 
I was the one who benefited from my dad's change in his personality because my older brothers and sisters knew a much different father than I knew because he started showing up at every one of my practices. He never missed a game. He was there to support me. And from age 10 on, he became like my biggest cheerleader, my biggest fan and was there. And I think really looking back, he was just making up for lost time because he wasn't a great dad for my older brothers and sisters. They didn't have a father in their life. And after age 10, I did. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to earn a football scholarship to William & Mary. And um, that was my way out, um, not having a lot. And, uh, and then when I was a, a junior in Actually, I was a senior in college, um, and my father, at the age of 58, he had another heart attack, and he didn't make it. And uh, I look at it as from age 10 to 20, I had more of a dad than many people have in a lifetime. And the reason why I pride myself now in, in my parenting, the hardest job I do out of any responsibility I have, is uh, I had very good role modeling from my father for 10 years. And uh, I was the benefit of a lot of love and a lot of care and compassion and, and uh, leadership. And uh, it wasn't easy. Certainly wasn't easy always, but uh, it's one of the roles I most treasure now as a dad. Of, uh, just getting to work with my kids and, you know, they're, they're a little older now. They're getting 17, 14, 11 and time is going by fast. So I'm always like, to my wife, man, I wish we could slow time down because I love where I'm at right now. But once again, Doug, uh, adversity, growing up without much, divorce, dad moving away, a first heart attack, and then him passing. Um, you know, those things have made me the man I am today. And uh, you never want to go through tough times, but you realize it's the tough times that also often define who you are and how you react to them. And uh, I feel real blessed to, you know, have had the upbringing that I had. Yeah, and I know how impactful um, your dad was in your life and, you know, how it's made you into who you are as a parent for McKenna, Luke, and Brady, and also as, you know, as a husband to Melanie. Like, you know, what are some of the things that you think you've learned, you know, through uh, – through watching your your family grow up and until where you're you know losing your dad when you were in college like what are some of the lessons you've learned that have you adapted into the way you kind of are the head of the household now time it's all about time say yes more to the family no more to business um i spent i spent the beginning of my business career working a boatload because man, that was a big risk when I started with no clients, no money, no business plan. And I worked a lot. And, uh, I realized, you know, now just it's, it's how important time is. And I wish I could slow time down, but my dad taught me the value of time and, uh, things, little things like, you know, leaving helmet notes and cleat notes and inside the boys football helmets or lacrosse helmets. And, uh, inside the cleats of McKenna on game days, I leave cleat notes or helmet notes for the kids. Um, that's time. And that's, those are memories. Um, it's, it's saying yes more, um, to family, uh, opportunities, uh, to, to spend time with them, even on the weekends when sometimes I'm catching up on work, uh, it's being present. The lessons learned of being present, turning off the phone when I'm at the dinner, the dinner table or in the living room, um, watching TV with them, literally like turning the phone off. Like that might seem like really simple, but 
I, I, I truly try to like be present with them because it's so easy just to scroll on Instagram or, you know, you're looking at your emails and you're just kind of like there, but you're not there. And uh, I think that's a viable lesson. And the other thing that um, I think is viable is, is the importance of dreaming big and working hard. The reason I say that is because uh, one of the things I want to impart in my children is that I want them to dream big and not be afraid of failing. I want them to, to get after whatever their biggest dreams and aspirations are and not try to protect them from failing because every time I look back, it is the adversity, it's the failures, it's the stuff that I didn't want to go through. Man, I would have never chosen to, to have my dad pass when I was 20 or, or to uh, have a serious back injury when I was 25 or start trying to start the business when I was 30 and, and have no clients, no money, no business plan. But uh, looking back, I wouldn't trade it you know, for anything. Um, uh, what do you so, think he, what do you yeah. think he's saying? What do you think your dad's saying to you right now? Um, it's funny. I just literally had a conversation with him yesterday. Uh, it's been over 30 years, man. And I, I literally still talk to him and say, Hey dad, how you doing? Like, what do you think of, you know, how am I doing? How am I doing? And, um, you know, if anyone listening in today has had someone they lost recently or in the past, for me, I find it actually kind of, gratifying to still kind of feel the presence of that person. And for me, I try to feel the presence of my dad. Like, you know, what would he say? I literally just had this yesterday um, when we're, as we record this of like, you know, it's the holidays and, and, um, and I wish, I wish, I wish he could sit in the stands and watch, you know, his two grandsons play football while I was coaching and I think the biggest thing he'd say is, I'm proud. I'm really proud uh, to be your dad. Um, that's it. I'm proud. I'm proud. That's yeah, what he would say. And he's got a lot to be proud of, man. And um, I, I'm proud. I've just watched you, you know, evolve. And at the time I've known you and just watched you as a dad and everything you're doing now with your kids and how much you've sacrificed. Because I, when I first met you, you were a lot more in the business. And now – I see you spending more time in the in family than you do your business. You know, spending it's almost like a full time job coaching your kids, right? It, 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 I'm laughing. It is. I I actually calculated. I calculated 350 <laughs> hours uh, of coaching football this season. I'm like, wait a second. It's an unpaid job. Why am I spending three? It's the worst business decision one could ever make. Hey, let me spend 350 hours coaching unpaid. Let me tell you what you couldn't put a price tag on what I'm doing. I'm like, I, I don't care. I, if business was tanking right now, I am having the time of my life with my kids. I'm the quarterback coach. I'm the strength coach for all the kids. The kids hang out at our house. And like, I know that in another couple of years, it's not going to be like that. So like, I'm trying to capture everything. And you, if I had like someone like looking inside my business, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you spending so much time helping these kids? Because I, I, you know what? Because the one thing I learned from my dad was the value of time. And I know that this too soon is going to pass. And I don't want to miss it. And I am doing everything I can to make sure that I'm around as long as I can. And that I'm having fun. Uh, tomorrow I'm speaking at the high school and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I, I'm, I'm being as active as possible in the school. Uh, not just for my own kids, but for all those kids who so desperately need you know, strong coaches, great coaches that are positive and not out there cussing and not out there, you know, doing dumb things like just people need more positive role models. And I really value and relish that role uh, here in my community in San Diego. So uh, 
man, I'm having a blast. <laughs> Dude, so much wisdom in this episode. We didn't even, we didn't even talk about fitness, which is good because I know like just from the way I know you that you have so much more to offer than just fitness and the things you've gone through. Before I, before I ask you the final question, um, where can people find out more about you? I mean, I know you're very active on social media and you've you know, obviously written two books, The Wow Book, The Impact Body Plan. You got a new one coming out soon. So where can people find out more about you? A couple of things. If, if, if you like podcasts and like this one, Doug, uh, I have a new podcast, Todd Durkin Impact Show, Todd Durkin Impact Show. Uh, we have two episodes come out per week. It's all about motivating, inspire people to be their absolute best. Uh, if you're on Instagram or social media, just go to my name at Todd Durkin, D-U-R-K-I-N. And I have a website, ToddDurkin.com. Real simple. If let's just say, um, I'll use this as an example because I know this is very personal to you. What advice was your dad giving to you when you were training for NBC strong, because I know that was a very big time of, of adversity for you where, um, you really didn't know, um, what was going to happen. You really didn't know what was going to transpire on the show. You had a lot going against you. I know you, you sought out wisdom from your dad. What was he saying to you? We got this. We got this. Uh, during, the filming of NBC Strong, it's now on Netflix, by the way, for anyone who hasn't seen Strong. Um, it was probably the deepest I got uh, spiritually and in my faith because as the oldest trainer on the show, uh, they were having us do these crazy, crazy physical feats. And my body was beat up. Literally, my, my, I tore my shoulder. My back was, you know, from, from my previous injury was, was uh, feeling every ache and pain it possibly could. My knee was shot. It eventually needed to be replaced. Um, and I was channeling this spiritual energy and strength from my father. And, um, and literally, I'd go down in the strong yard every morning at 6 a.m. despite filming till 3 a.m. I had very little sleep. And I was praying to God to get some divine wisdom and I would see, I would literally see my dad and I would literally start welting up with tears. I'm like, dad, how are we doing this? Because I kept winning these different competitions. I like had no clue how the heck I was beating these dudes that were 20 years younger and, and jacked up. And, and like, I was just finding some serious grit. And it was really looking back all the way back to, I was five years old. It was who I was. And he said, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. We got this. We got this. And it was the, it was the confidence. It was the, it was the strength I felt. And, um, I guess the thing I would just share is this with anyone is sometimes you do forget who you are when you're going through adversity and you're going through a tough time. And sometimes you feel like, man, you are crawled up in the, in the bottom of the barrel and you're looking up and you don't even know if you got anything left is you, you got to dig down and remember who you are at your core, at your roots of like, man, um, this is who I am and I can get through this. Um, for me, it was, I had to put a freak in between my name. Uh, and that's, that's what I would say is, I mean, because sometimes I forgot who I was when I was doing, I was like, how am I going to get this? I'd be like, I, I say my name with a freak in the middle of it. And, um, and next thing I know, I would be winning this stuff. And it wasn't necessarily just about winning it was really about proving to myself that I'm, I'm, I'm stronger um, even now than I was then because what I always say is this, you don't know how strong you are until strong is all you have left. 
You don't know how strong you are and how strong is all you have left. And sometimes you're so low and you got to dig down to the core of your core, like the deepest part of yourself. And you got to ask God for help. And you got to ask everyone around you to, for help. And you got to find out what you're made of. But truly, deep down, you're always way stronger than you think. And you don't know how strong you are until that's the only thing you have left. So well said, man. I have no words. Um, you know, thank you so much for all your wisdom you shared. I know you shared so openly and honestly, and your vulnerability um, is something that you should be extremely proud of. And we appreciate you having you on. Doug, thank you, man. I appreciate you. And I'm proud of you for all that you're doing and, and love the community you serve. I know you've always been hustling and with, uh, with your background and who you're impacting as well. I appreciate all that you're doing to make the world a better place to live too. So thank you for what you're doing. Thanks, man. So uh, there you have it, folks. You know, Todd Durkin, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, I appreciate y'all for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and we will see you next time.